If you will, open your Bibles to the book of Romans, uh, chapter 14. I want to try to complete uh, what we begun uh, last week and uh, uh, try to help us with our thinking, our applying uh, of the gospel, uh, even within the church. How, how do we live among each other or live with each other even with some disagreements, uh, even with things that we don't see uh, eye to eye on. And uh, we kind of went through a laundry list, at least of things in my experience uh, that have uh, traditionally uh, divided churches and Christians and, and so forth. So we'll talk more about some of those things uh, specifically. But Paul, in, in chapters 14 and 15 of this book of Romans, begins to expound and, and seemingly with the, the certain knowledge, the sure expectation that we're always not going to agree down to the nth detail on a lot of things that may have some importance. I mean, I'm not saying these things aren't important, but they may be far less than essential. Uh, they may be things that we feel very deeply and very strongly about. But should they divide Christians and should they uh, divide uh, the church? And uh, there's no, no one can divorce themselves from their cultural background. And by cultural, I mean your, your family. Uh, I, I, I tell you an awful lot about my family, and they had their squirrely ideas as much as, any, much as your family had squirrely ideas, okay? And, and so uh, we all come from that, and, and, and you know, for the most part, I think uh, most of us are Southerners, and so that kind of brings a, a certain type of, of culture, and then, and then whatever uh, background you have in terms of, of church and spiritual life, so that flavors how you think, and so... Uh, uh, the church uh, has been and will be and should be a people of diversity, a people that have deep and uh, powerful shared convictions about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about the reality of what he's accomplished on the cross for us. And as has been said for hundreds of years, we, we should, in essentials, have unity. And in non-essentials, enjoy liberty. But here's the thing. In all things, there should be what? Charity. Charity. And, and you know, it, 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 and there's, there's kind of a connection between the word charity and, and the, the Greek word underlying or underlying the word grace. But we should be a gracious people. And sometimes we aren't, are we? When things, you know, when we have our deal and somebody else has theirs. So, let's look at this this, this morning. Convictions, conscience, and fellowship. Romans 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat 
anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. And since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live uh, to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual love building. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Pray with me. Father, again, we thank you for your truth. It is your word to us. Uh, God, your spirit inspired it. Uh, I pray that your spirit would illuminate our minds for our own understanding so that we may live out the implications of the gospel with each other and in a world that needs to see the gospel both incarnate and hear it proclaimed. Uh, Lord, bless our time together today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I've said any number of times, we're looking at a section of Romans that deals with how we live out the implications of the gospel, God's power being demonstrated uh, in our lives through our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, we believe that we are saved by God's grace through faith, but we also believe that that grace 
transforms us. It's an ongoing thing that God is constantly shaping and molding. And again, that we become an increasingly discerning and gracious people. As I've said before, discernment is one of the most difficult things in the world. And I'm going to use the word master, but you never will. But, but because it's difficult to know the time and the place and the demeanor to engage in whatever needs to be discussed or engaged in. Some things, they may be pretty important, but maybe it's just not the place to engage in that discussion. Uh, that things may be uh, less important that you choose to maybe a more opportune time. And on and on it goes. So these things are, are difficult. And they were difficult even in the apostolic era of the first century church. So how much more so are these things difficult for us today? Now, we looked at uh, points one and two. I'll just very quickly say that in the first century church, uh, you had converted Jews and converted Gentiles. The Jews came in with what? Some cultural convictions. Because of what? They've been raised as good, good Jews. There were certain foods that were just reprehensible uh, to them. And, and so they still struggled with the idea that all of the kosher uh, prescriptions and regulations regarding food had been removed with the ending of the Old Covenant era. And, and, and so they could be easily offended by Gentiles eating whatever. And, and so the Apostle Paul calls upon the people of, of the church to, to not be contentious uh, about this. One group, whether you're a, a meat eater or a vegetarian, just simply don't pass judgment on one another. That that's a matter of conscience, a matter of conviction, and again, even a matter of, of, of culture. Now, Paul would be concerned if he found someone who says, to be a Christian, to be a Christian, you can't eat this, that, or the other. You follow what I'm saying? That, that, that if, 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 this, if this concept of what I eat and don't eat is, becomes the basis of one's salvation, then at that point, the gospel is being imperiled. The Apostle Paul would never, ever have tolerated that. And so, uh, he just, he seems to, uh, to kind of uh, come down, uh, reserve your judgment, understand there will be a final accounting. Uh, we'll give an account to our master. And so the matter of food. And then in verse 5, our second point in the outline, again, the Jews brought forward uh, a great number of festival days. And some coming into the church uh, still wanted to observe these special uh, uh, observations now again if they were doing it uh, in some sense to earn salvation Paul would have never allowed that but if they understood that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of every Old Testament festival then he didn't seem to be too disturbed uh, ab about that and so he just simply says that that some really want to observe these days and set them aside uh, for a period of reflection and worship, and that's good. There's some people that just think every day is the Lord's, and we just go uh, with, with that. And, and so look down there, 
verse 7, again, just kind of a one of the principles that we should have deeply ingrained in our hearts and minds. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. You know, it ain't just all about you, okay? Now, that's probably the meanest thing I've ever said to any of you, okay? But it's not. It's not. You remember at this point last week, I, I read the old Simon and Garfunkel song, I'm a, I'm a Rock, I'm an Island. Again, having friends, being a part of a church is a pain. It hurts sometimes. But we're not an island. And we need to understand that our thoughts and our actions and our behaviors necessarily will have an impact upon the others. But remember, the gospel is this. The gospel is the work of Christ to unite to himself. All right. Now, let's move forward a bit there. Verse 10, and again, it's point three in this outline. The reality of universal accountability. There are two questions here that we need to think very soberly about. Paul asks, why do you pass judgment on your brother? That is, I assume, why are you indicting, condemning those who either don't observe special days or those that are eating meat or those that do eat meat or those that don't observe special days why are you getting into their business about that and and it's hard to know that the second question is to pass judgment the same thing as to despise or is it kind of a separate matter in other words because what you're doing, you're not acting in love. Now, the reality is, I think from a biblical perspective, if you're not acting in love, what are you doing? You're despising. You're despising. There's not a, you know, there's not, well, I, I, I'm not, not going to act in love, but I don't despise them. I just want to kind of get in that middle ground. No. No, there's not a middle ground. And so, again, be careful about this business of, of passing judgment. I'm gonna come, I'll come, I think I mentioned this last week. We'll come back because, again, the, 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 the mantra of, of the world today, you know, again, don't judge me. Again, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that again uh, shortly. But Paul asked those, uh, those two very uh, important questions, and he follows this up there in verse 11, that we shall all, excuse me, in verse 10, for we shall all, or we will all, stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, who's he speaking to? The unbelieving world? Not here. Now, he's talking to you and to me. Those of us that know Jesus Christ, that there is a day of accounting. Now, what I hear a lot of times from, I'm going to say, professing believers, visible church members, well, I'm not worried about, you know, the mansion in glory or, you know, the big, you know, I just want to slip in by the skin of my teeth. Just if I make it to the back row, I'll be happy. I can't tell you how bad that attitude is, okay? Bad theology, bad attitude. Because God has worked in our hearts, we should have some desire to please our Redeemer, our Savior, our Master. That, that if we can be nonchalant, about the idea of what he is happy with, 
what pleases him, what honors him, then you need to think about it. You simply need to think about it. Now, let me, let me see if I can give an example. Since it's football season, I think. I know there's one team in the state playing football. The other, I don't know. It's a little, little more questionable whether they are or not. But at any rate, since uh, Alabama barely squeaked by yesterday, I, when it was 21 to nothing with three minutes left in the first quarter, I switched it to the recorded version of the Auburn game, which I already knew the final score, but I thought, you know, I think the Auburn game is still more in doubt than, that, than the Alabama game. So, you know, I, I, I could uh, just watch it and enjoy. But anyway, both teams won the game. Every member of the, those teams participates in the victory, right? They, they all equally are victorious. But today or tomorrow or sometime, I don't know how they do their operation, there's going to be a very sweet nurturing, nurturing assistant coach. Kind of a mother figure, you know, you know, kind of among the... And he's going to look at the film of that game. And if, if a lineman missed a block, he's going to go over to that lineman and say, Son, I love you like my own child. And if you miss that block again, I'm not going to say what they might say. But here's the thing. They won the game, but everybody wants to get a good grade from the one who evaluates them. That they're motivated. They want to, to have performed well and to contribute to that victory. They don't want to be the one that says, well, we, we won despite you being out there. Now, that's a very poor and flimsy analogy. But yes, as a believer... We've won. It's settled. This is, like I say, as much as that game I watched on DVR last uh, yesterday evening, it's a settled thing. We have won. But there will be an evaluation. And I'd like to know I made a key block along the way. I'd like, I'd like to know that as the water boy, I got the water out to the field on time or whatever, okay, whatever small contribution I might make. But it's important to me to receive a evaluation now kind of more theologically here's the thing because of the carnality of our heart and mind we have that yeah i just want to get there mentality but when we're glorified when we're perfected we're going to have the same exact view of sin that god has and we are going to be absolutely appalled at our, our willingness to compromise to, to our willingness to, to, to be neglectful and, and, and lackadaisical about our obedience to God. And so again, it's, a, it's an important uh, thing, an important concept that, that we understand. Again, uh, quoting from the Old Testament, Paul says, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Now I believe that probably is more inclusive, but believers are going to be evaluated too. And again, every unbeliever, I believe, will acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. Not as Savior, but they will understand the great beauty and glory of God before they are condemned forever. So what's the summary? Sobering one, verse 12. So then each 
of us will give an account of himself to God. Yeah. We'll explain it. You know, we will be like Lucy. You have some explaining to do. Okay? Why you did? Why you did? Now, again, you can be very legalistic about this, and, and I'm sure preachers hold their congregations in terror over this. All I know to tell you is true. We're saved by grace. But you really need to think about the day that we will stand before, before him. Not to determine whether you're lost or saved. That's a settled issue. That is a settled issue. And trust me, even as a believer, if you were, if you were judged by your works, you would go to hell. If you were judged on the, because your works are still incomplete, they're still imperfect, no matter how good you are. And so, we will one day stand before God. It is, again, a sobering, sobering reality. And part of, I think, one of the things Paul wants us to get, now you know, some of us like to straighten each other out. Now, I, I know some of you have the gift of straightening the preacher out, and you know, so forth, so on, Okay? I think part of the implications of this is, you know what? We don't have to straighten each other out to the nth degree. There is a perfect judge that will bring all things to a perfect resolution one day. Now, that doesn't mean we never discuss anything, that we don't ever contend for truth, but sometimes you've got to let some things go, okay? Because it will come to its perfect resolution under the authority of, of Christ himself. And again, doesn't mean we never have anything to say, that we don't ever disagree, but we need to remember that we will all stand and give that account. Well, let's look now, beginning in verse 13, and I call this principles for unity and diversity. And I, I really, uh, you know, I went to seminary in what year? 1995. I had to think for a minute. This is long ago now. And that was kind of right in the, the, the increasing tidal wave of the church growth movement. I mean, people were catching on to that. Brook Hills was starting. Hunter Street had moved into their new location. And, and these churches were practicing these, these church growth principles uh, from Bill Hybels and uh, Rick Warren and, and others. And, 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 and they were going, you know, just great, great guns. And, and one of the things that came out of all of that thinking was what's called the homogenous principle, which very, the vernacular is this, birds of a feather flock together. So if you go build you a, a, a good-looking church in the middle of a good-looking neighborhood and get you a good-looking preacher and surround him with good-looking folks, you'll get a whole bunch of other good-looking folks that, you know, have are very civic-minded and community-minded and they'll all get together and form a great church. Well, that all sounds well and good, but it's bull. I mean, it works. It'll work. I promise you it'll work. But the gospel is about going out and, to people, and reaching people that don't have anything in common. They have nothing in common. Different, different races, different nationalities, different backgrounds, everything. But here's the thing. 
we love Jesus together. That's the way the gospel works. Not, well, I think we all need a safe community with good schools and nice restaurants, and we're all going. That's not the church. That's not the church. And, you know, you, you need to see gray hairs and blue hairs and green hairs and, you know, everything in the church, okay, holding Jesus together. But how do we, how do we keep it together? So let's look here. I said uh, a moment ago we'd come back to this. Therefore, again, based on everything that's been said, based on the reality, there is a perfect judge that will judge, okay? So guess what? I'm not your judge. One of, my, one of the things that I love to do is when I'm playing golf and somebody will say something that I just assumed he hadn't said, unless it's the Lord's name in vain, okay? Now, they will, and then they look and say, Preacher, I'm like, listen, you will never have to give an account to me. You never, I mean, you never, I'm not the judge. I'm not the judge. You, you don't have to worry about me. There is a day that you'll give an account. Now, and I usually, listen, there might be a few things out there that might make me mad enough to cuss. Not saying there's not, but not really. But if it gets to be golf, I'm probably going to go home, take up tiddlywinks or something like that. Uh, as Arnold Palmer once said, you ain't good enough to get that mad. So that's kind of where I that's kind of where I live, okay? But you you know, I'm not I'm not the judge. I'm not the judge about, you know, what what they should or shouldn't say. It's kind of interesting. I mean, I'm just a person. Why would they even care? It's kind of interesting though, isn't it? That they would even oh I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So so don't pass judgment on one another any longer. In other words, they had been doing it. They had been guilty of this. But rather decide, in other words, think about this, have that discussion with yourself and decide, I'm not going to be a part of this any longer. So do not pass judgment. Now, let's, let's be sure. If, who do I want to get today? Huh. Trying, trying to think of who uh, uh, I haven't picked on. We'll, we'll just do the straw man. If, if one of our folks is guilty of committing adultery. Now, do we just say, well, you know, everybody sins. Everybody sins. Everybody's got their weak points. And we just let it go. Just let it, you know, I mean, everybody, you know, big sin, little sin, my sin, you know. And if you do say something to them about, well, don't be judging them. And you go, well, I guess that's right. I guess I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said anything. I'm just happy that you're happy. Right? That's the way we roll in the church, right? I'm just happy that you're happy. No, that's not judging. That is being discerning and calling upon biblical obedience for those who name the name of Christ, okay? I would say something different to somebody that is self-identified as an unbeliever, okay? They need the gospel. They need to be saved. Okay, but again, there's a there's a different treatment for the belief, professing believer and the unbeliever. But here's the deal: what Jesus 
forbids, and Matthew 7, 2, judge not lest you be judged, is this. I catch you in the act. You're going to hell. You're going straight to hell. I know it. I know it. No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't have that knowledge. I can say the evidence looks pretty damning. That really looks pretty damning to me. But I don't know with absolute certainty. Okay? I mean, there have been occasions, I'm quite sure, that truly born-again believers have fallen into immorality. David did. So, again, I can't make that pronouncement. Nor can I make the pronouncement, you're such an embarrassment, and you've done so much damage to the cause of Christ, and you've harmed your family so dramatically, I want you to go to hell. You've make me so mad you make me so angry go to hell go to hell go to hell I hope your children didn't hear that but that would be judging in that me a sinner saved by grace who that anything that I'm not guilty of is only by grace okay any sin that I have not committed, I've only not committed it because God's grace, both before I was a Christian and after I was a Christian, restrained me. Sometimes unbelievers are restrained from doing some of the idiocy that they want to do. But that would be wrong. But to call either believer or unbeliever to repentance is the right thing. That's not judging. So don't let them shut you up by appropriately calling to repentance. Okay, so... Do not pass judgment. We see what that is. We see what it is not. Now then, he goes on to explain, do not never make a decision, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of the brother. That's pretty broad. I would hate to know that somebody would walk away from Christ. Now remember, way of a brother. I would hate for someone to be so offended that they would find themselves estranged from God because of my behavior. And I can have some outlandish behavior. You know, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I don't mean anything really embarrassing, but, you know, I'm pretty bold sometimes about what I say and, and so forth and so on. And, and so I would hate to think that, that I've done something um, I, we were talking about this yesterday, in fact. And, you know, some some people, you know, they like the pastor to stand up here and smile and speak very sweetly and never raise his voice and say really nice things. That ain't me. And, and, and you know, I, I told you my dad was very passionate about building houses. His clock would get pretty wound up, nailing two before studs together. Uh, you ask my children, when I coached them in ball, I could get rather passionate about that. I get rather passionate about Jesus. I ain't mad at you. It's just, I mean, you know. And even, even with Daddy, sometimes we get to talk about stuff that wasn't really too important to me. But I, he, you could tell he was getting a little, you know, it's just kind of the family trait, I guess. I don't know. But at any rate, I would pray 
that something in my mannerism, the way I approach the pulpit or ministry or life, would not cause someone uh, to, to stumble. And so whatever we do or we don't do, the overarching principle is what? Don't cause a brother to stumble. Jesus spoke of it this way. It would be better for them to take the heavy stone, the millstone, tie it around your neck and throw you into the ocean than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Hmm. That's pretty sober. I, that's not a route I want to go. So we need to think about it. So we do not pass judgment. Do not cause someone to, to stumble. Now, verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is, is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Now, Paul is not subject, suggesting moral relativism or moral subjectivism here. Okay? This is kind of narrowly uh, confined to kind of what he's been talking about, that, that food in and of itself is not unclean and the observation of days and so forth so on. But that people can act according to their conscience. He's going to kind of uh, elaborate on that in just a minute. Let me kind of give you a modern parallel. It's not a great one, but it just I kind of thought of it the other day. I have never eaten at Hooters. Okay? At Hooters restaurant. I know some of you didn't hear it. H-O-O-T-E-R-S. Hooters. Okay? I've never eaten at one. I have occasionally heard of people who have. And usually when I do hear that, I tell them they have no business in that restaurant. Now why? Because my heart, Jeremiah 17, 9, is desperately wicked. And I can't look at good-looking women with their butt cheeks exposed and their cleavage exposed. Now, y'all look at me like, I can't believe Tim just did that. I know what you watched on TV this week, so don't even, don't even look up here. But I don't need to be in a place like that, okay? I don't need to be there. I don't think you do. I don't, I don't think any of the men of this church are so pure that that would not be a problem for them. That's just an opinion, okay? All right? Now, what if some new believer, we're having potluck, and they bring in a big box of wings from Hooters. Now, they bring it themselves. They don't get one of the waitresses to bring it in, okay? They don't have delivery. Joey, why are you grinning? There's no grinning in church. There's no grinning in church. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you right now, get out of my way. There ain't nothing wrong with those wings. But now some of you might, well, I ain't going to eat them. I'm not going to eat them. But I would. Now, I wouldn't go pick them up for you. And I wouldn't, and I would tell you, if you said, Tim, where can I go buy wings? I might tell you where you could and where you couldn't. But once they're here, eat them. Okay? Do what? Zaxby's has good wings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
But it's not the question of the wings, okay? It's the issue here. They're not tainted by the restaurant that they came from, okay? Moving forward. That was kind of fun. Verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now, a little different context. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is concerned because the Gentiles are being offended by the, uh, the eating of the meat that had been previously offered for sacrifice. We call that barbecue, okay? Here in the South, we call that barbecue. They were offended that the meat had been there, and they were selling it in the meat market. And, and so in that context, Paul said, listen, if that is an issue, if my eating of the meat offered to those pagan idols, which we know, they're nothing. They're nothing at all. They have no power over the believer. He said, but if that, if that is offensive, if that is a problem, I'll not eat meat what? Not only meat sold in the meat market, I won't eat any at all. I'll never let the issue be confused. Okay? And, and so we need to be careful. Does, is there something that, that we do that we don't do that, it, that grieves our brothers? The way of love is a way of denying what, what fundamental call the gospel. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily. That never, that never ends. We, we live in this time, even in the church, it is my right, fill in the blank. It's all about what I can do or don't have to do. Well, again, the way of love, let's be, let's be aware that something that we may think is perfectly all right would grieve our brother. So what's Paul been saying? This whole, the whole thing. Fulfill God's law by loving one another. Be aware of people that have issues uh, with this. Consider, verse 16, consider your brother's conviction. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Now, everybody is obviously aware that I enjoy listening to 60s and 70s rock music. Okay? And I probably enjoy it now more than I did when I was 15, 16 years old. And, but I have at least two friends. One of them grew up playing in rock bands and all that went with it, the drinking and the carrying on. And he does not listen to it at all because it just brings back too many bad memories from his unbelieving days. And I would not put him in the car, put it on 106.9, and go rocking down the road. Okay? I really, I really wouldn't do that. I have another friend, to my knowledge, was always probably a very moral guy and never did any of that kind of stuff. He was always a musician, but never, to my knowledge, again, but he thinks it's a wrong, wrong to thing to do. So listen to that. And so I would never, again, throw it in their face that, you know, I can listen to it and you can or, or whatever. But we need to, again, walk in love and consider your brother's convictions about uh, the matter and again, sometimes we just need to give up something. We need to give up something if it's, if it's found to be offensive to our brother. Verse 17 18. Ooh, we run out of time very, very quickly. For the kingdom of God is not a matter 
of trivial things like food. Okay? The kingdom of God is bigger. I mean, don't allow the kingdom of God to be defamed because of your carnal, sensual appetite. Okay? Don't, it, it's, it's bigger than that. It, that that, that all, the body and the stomach is for food and food for the body. And Paul says, well, they're all going to pass away. They're all going to be destroyed. So this transit uh, 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 time, this, this time that's temporal, you know, if, if you got to you know, eat beans, then eat beans. If that's what it takes to, to be non-offensive. Simply don't harm your brother over trivial matters. Now, verse 22. The faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. It's going to get painful. Everybody on the face of the earth doesn't necessarily need to know where you are or what you're doing through your Facebook announcements. Okay? There's some things, if you think it's fine, keep it to yourself. You don't have to. And, and here, here's the thing. Far too often, we want to flaunt our liberty and rub it in the nose of others. And so I would just simply say sometimes, hey, this is what I think, and that's, that's as far as it ought to go. This is how my behavior is going to be, and this is what I'm going to do. But, you know, I'm not going to argue with everybody, and I'm not going to offend people for whom Christ died and if I'm wrong, Christ will sort it all out on that day. And if they're wrong, Christ will sort it all out. But I don't need to publicize everything that I do do or I don't do or I believe or so forth. So just sometimes it's okay not to say anything. Okay, you Go about your business. Now, the, the last thing, verse 23. But whoever has doubts is condemned. If he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now that sounds like, if my conscience is clear, I can go at it. Now, again, I've said this for years. There are people that committed adultery last night. Their conscience is completely clear about it. Or at least they think their conscience is clear. Okay? Your conscience is not the ultimate and final authority. Okay? I, I have a, a friend... Sometimes he'll say, well, I've just got a piece about whatever. And I was telling him in very gentle terms. He's a mature believer. He can take it. I don't care. I ain't got anything to do with anything. There, there are things that you should be doing that you're going to have a great deal of uneasiness about, and there are things that you shouldn't be doing that you'll feel very peaceful about. That's not the ultimate thing is whether or not your conscience is convicted, okay? Your conscience is a good thing. It's a helpful thing at times, but it is not the ultimate thing, okay? Just because you have peace or lack peace is not uh, the, the thing. And here, here, let me just show you how fallible this, this is. And I have been, over the last two or three years, just the matters that have come to the forefront regarding race relations across the United States, okay? And 
Finally, there are sound gospel preachers that are speaking biblically and intelligently to this. I listened to a Presbyterian, of all things, weep over the role his Presbyterian forefathers had in slavery being entrenched in this country. And us Baptists are in the same camp. My, my point is this. There are some men that were wise, that we would think of as godly men, who thought it was okay to have a title sheet to a fellow image bearer. And they did it with clear conscience is what I'm saying. Just because your conscience is clear doesn't mean that it's right. I was telling some guys this morning, I ran across a piece. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of London in the 19th century, he would not admit a slave owner to the Lord's Supper because he thought it was so wrong and so sinful. There was a piece in some kind of paper in Montgomery, Alabama in the mid-1800s that called for people in the vicinity that owned writings by Charles Spurgeon who most people, even some of the other yahoos in the Southern Baptist Convention will tell you is one of the greatest Baptist preachers who ever lived calling for the gathering up of the materials that he had written, sermons and books and so forth, and burning them because of his views against slavery. Now that's how crazy even professing Christians can get. So again, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. It's not your blank check that if I don't feel bad about it, I can go do it. One quick final illustration. I saw something on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. Aren't y'all glad? See, I'm updating my sermon illustrations. Not MASH, not 70s rock music. Facebook, that's pretty, pretty relevant. About the honky-tonks that y'all used to go to, presumably used to go to, that are now shut down. And I made the remark I only went to Calvinist Bible studies. Yeah. And so never, never went to those places. Here's the thing. I never went to one of those places that I didn't know that I didn't have any business being there. That's the truth. I'm not trying to be real spiritual. Now, I'm not saying I didn't keep going. I mean, yeah, I, I ran up Stupid Hill backwards many, many times. I drove through Rome, Georgia yesterday. And one of the places, if you know anything about Rome, you come into Rome on Shorter Avenue, right there in West Rome, Stone's Throat, West Rome Baptist Church. There's a place called the Peking Garden. And I, I can remember as a kid trying to slip into that place because you had to park across the street, walk across Shorter Avenue. It's four, four lane. I thought, boy, my mother drive through here. It, it won't be good. Okay? But I knew I had no business to be there. But let me say this. Dale's cousin who we don't know particularly well. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but we, you know, we don't. He owns a thing downtown. I think it's called Iron City. It's a venue where they have all these bands and things like that. It's right pretty close to St. Vincent, UAB. Okay? And I heard on the radio the other day they had a, like an Eagles, I think they call them tribute bands. I think that's right. And you know what? I didn't go, but I'd probably go with a clear conscience. I'd probably, you know. If somebody said, hey, let's go, I might have gone. Uh, don't, don't think there'd be anything particularly wrong with me going down and, and listening to the, to the, uh, the tribute 
band at that particular place. Different. Why? I was living in rebellion. I'll tell you flat out in my younger years. Okay. Prayerfully now, I'm not uh, not not living in rebellion, and I think that a believer should have would have a freedom to do that. But I sure wouldn't get on Facebook and tell you about it. Okay. Now, and, and certainly if somebody said, Tim, that's the most vile place. I can't believe you've even been. I've, I've never been there and probably, really, probably never will. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But if it was offensive to somebody, then we'd have to sit down and, and talk about it a bit. Because what? I wouldn't want you to. My, my conscience, what, is not the final word in these matters. Okay? It's an important guide as informed by the Word of God and illuminated by the Holy Spirit. But the early church had issues. We still have them. And we, we went through the, 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 the laundry list of things uh, that were just kind of matters of conscience. My, my parents had quirks about what they did and didn't do, and probably all of us do. But discerning what is essential to the gospel and unity of the church and what is secondary is absolutely necessary. Because I dare say there's not a person in here, if, if we went down the list long enough, you'd find something you disagreed with me about. Now, obviously, if you disagreed with me, you'd be wrong, because if you want to be right, you know you, you agree with me. That's, that's the way you know if you're right. You disagree with him. But we will never get beyond the reality that there are matters of conscience and conviction, and they are an issue as related to our fellowship as the people of God. So let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, for your goodness and for your grace. Uh, we thank you for the power that breaks the rule of sin in our life. And Lord, I, I pray for the, the wisdom of your word and your spirit to help us live lives that are characterized by freedom, that are characterized by wisdom and, and discipline, and gives us a walk that is characterized by love for one another, both by what we say, what we do, and what we choose not to do. Uh, Lord, that it would uh, contribute to the unity of a local church and, again, the, the, the unity of the church uh, body uh, universally. Uh, Lord, bless us this day. In Jesus' name, amen.